Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. So welcome, welcome families, welcome newcomers, welcome longtime members. It's good to be in this space together. And as we have done over the past year and a half, we begin this time by intentionally finding that shared breath, by settling our bodies, by relaxing our nervous systems, by recognizing that in the midst of our individual lives and movement through the world, we are a part of a larger body. There is a larger breath, a larger source that holds us all. And so I invite you now, as you're comfortable or able, to just settle into wherever you are. Let your feet rest on the floor if that works and that's comfortable. And join me in taking three deep, smooth breaths together. I invite you now to join Reverend Karen Hutt and Aspen in our chalice lady. We love you, Justin. And you have given. And you have given. Us many examples. Us many examples. Of us living out. Of us living out. Our great covenant. Our great covenant. Love is the spirit of this church. And service is its law. This is our great covenant. This is our great covenant. To dwell together in peace. To, peace, to, seek, the truth and love, to seek the truth in love. And to help one another. Beautiful job, Aspen. Thank you so much. Hmm. I'm Lauren Wyatt. I'm your director of children, youth and family ministries. And I want to talk with you today about endings. And in particular, I want to talk about different kinds of endings. And I think this book, this favorite book in my family about the adventures of Winnie the Pooh can help us have that conversation and think about different kinds of endings, because there are at least a hundred endings in this one book. Here's one. It's the end of the first page in the book. But it would be silly to think of this as the real ending, right? If we just stopped reading after the first page of a book, we'd miss a whole lot. Here's another ending in this book. It's the end of the first chapter. But that's not a good place to stop either is it? There's so much more to this book. So many more stories. Here is the last page, though. There is a last page in this book, and it is this one. And this is what it says. This book has a really nice ending. It says, so off they went together, 
But wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in that enchanted place on the top of the forest, a little boy and his bear will always be playing. And if I had stopped reading too soon, I would have missed that wisdom. And it's true, Christopher Robin and Pooh and all their friends are always playing in the Hundred Acre Wood whenever I visit that place in my memory. And that is a great source of comfort to me. Now, if you don't read the end of this book, you won't know whether the mouse's clever scheme works and whether he escapes this hungry Gruffalo. And if you don't read the end of Goodnight Gorilla, you won't know whether the gorilla ends up sleeping in the zoo or right in the zookeeper's bed. So when I think about endings that are happening in my own life, I try to remember to stay with it right up to the very last paragraph of the very last page. It's pretty obvious that if you skip the last page of a book, you're missing something really important. But in real life, in real life, it can sometimes feel really hard to show up for the endings. It might feel sad or complicated. And it can be tempting to skip the end of something because we might not want to face all those feelings. We might feel like we'd rather skip going to the going away party of a friend who's moving out of town. Or we might feel like skipping the memorial service of someone we really love. Or we might feel like skipping writing a thank you note for a teacher who we're really going to miss. Maybe sometimes we do skip marking those endings because it is too hard and that's okay. But I know for me in my own life, when I'm able to show up for those endings, I'm always glad that I did. I'm always glad I did. Hey, let me show you what happens to this little mouse if we stay till the end. Is he gonna get away? Let's see. Oh yeah, the words say, well, Gruffalo said the clever mouse. You see, everyone is afraid of me, but now my tummy is beginning to rumble. My favorite food is Gruffalo crumble. My clever mouse, the Gruffalo just runs right away. And here's our very last page actually. All was quiet in the deep dark wood. The mouse found a nut and the nut was good. That is a really satisfying ending. It all turns out okay. Although I'll admit I am sorry that the book is over. I love this book. Oh wait, there's another one. This one's called The Gruffalo's Child. So I guess it's not really over. Show up for the end of one story and you'll be right there ready for the beginning of the next one. Isn't that like life? Isn't that just like real life? One story folds into the next. That's how it goes. One ending is a new beginning. So as Reverend Justin says goodbye to us, I'm sad. I'm sad that an amazing chapter in the story of our church is coming to an end. And I'm really sad that I'm not going to get to work with him anymore. 
but soon Reverend Justin will be starting a new book of his own. And I'm sure that it will be filled with clever schemes and big adventures because that's how Reverend Justin is. And you and I and all of us will be continuing on to the next book in the series that is the history of First Universalist Church. This is a story we don't want to miss. So stay with it. Keep turning those pages and let's see what comes next. All right, now let's hear some beautiful music from Andrew Trolley. This is the sound of one voice, one spirit, one voice, the sound of one who makes a choice. This is the sound of one voice, this is the sound of one voice. This is the sound of voices too The sound of me singing with you Helping each other to make it through This is the sound of voices too This is the sound of voices too This is the sound of voices three Singing together in harmony Surrendering to the mystery This is the sound of voices three This is the sound of voices three This is the sound of all of us Singing with love and a will to trust Leave the rest behind, it'll turn to dust This is the sound of all of us This is the sound of all of us
Andrew, so beautiful. Thank you for your smile, your music, for the power of hearing voices blending. I long for that time again. And right now, we will blend our breath, our commitment. So I invite us to settle in as we do before each time of prayer and meditation, to settle our bodies, to arrive as fully here as feels right for each of us. For me, I have my feet planted firmly on the floor. Rolling my shoulders up and dropping them down. You can close your eyes or soften your gaze or leave your eyes open if that feels right. Beloveds here, we are right in the middle of endings and beginnings right in the middle of so much change as we give and receive and grow as this interchange happens and happens again all around us, beyond us, within us. The cycle of life is turning for us all. Sometimes it feels like too much. The turns coming at us faster than we want to face them more than we feel like we can handle. Other times the pace of change is so slow. We have been waiting and waiting, anticipating a birth or a graduation, a shedding of an old way that is harmful to us or others. There is something we have been longing for, waiting to come into being. We can't always control the pace of change and sometimes it is too much. Other times we can stay with it, watching and listening and sensing the shifts that are coming as the turns happen one after another, hope and possibility and change around every corner. Reverend Ruth, our minister emeritus, Emerita used to say that every loss we experience rings the bell of all the other losses we've known. And that while this is hard, it also offers the opportunity for deeper learning every time. Our beloved church member, Lucy Swift, used to talk before she died about the quarter turns we each take on our spiritual journey, on the spiral that is our lives. In so many ways and with so many experiences right now, we are rounding the quarter turn. We are feeling the way the bell is sounding in our hearts and our bodies, the bell of previous losses and changes and turns, and we are holding it all together. With love at our side, with love in our hearts, we can hold it all. The joy and fear, the loss and hope, the possibility and the pain. Together we can hold all of it, and we can hold steady to the faith that animates our lives, faith in a love so big, it will not let any one of us go. Faith in what can happen next when we listen deeply to where love is calling us, when we move with humility and courage and compassion. Faith that every human heart, including our own, holds a light worthy of protection and care.
with a faith like that, animating us and holding us, we can hold it all through each and every turn, through each and every change. So today, as we do every time we gather, we take time to recognize the turnings in our lives, in our community, in our world. We take time to name the joys and sorrows, what is moving in our hearts, the worries, the pain, the hope, the gratitude we are carrying. Our hearts reach out, extending with love to our Palestinian and Israeli siblings as we pray for peace that holds each and every human being with worth and dignity. And I know these are just a few of the worries, sorrows, joys, and gratitudes that live in your hearts. And I invite you now to share in the chat, if that feels comfortable, what you are carrying, that we might hold it all together. We are holding so much, so much together. Holding all of it, the joys and the sorrows, the worries and the hopeful anticipation. Together we pray. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May grief be shared, may joy break through. And may love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so, and amen. So before I share my message with you, I, um, I'm going to close my eyes for a minute and just, I'm imagining you, beloveds, imagining you, church, I'm imagining you uh, in the pews, in the building, in those places you love to sit. And there's, I know there's people in this worship space who haven't been in the building. I'm holding you as well as you join us from your laptop or tablet or whatever it might be, but I'm just drawing you close, remembering those little rituals as we would come into that sanctuary on a Sunday morning or the rituals in your home, the joy and the heartbreak. I am holding you close, bringing your presence to my heart and mind.
this is it. This is the one. Look at this. Look at this. It's my wife, Juliana, talking to me. And it's December 2008. And she's just been looking through First Universalist's online profile, this church profile, a profile describing the church and the kind of minister that they are looking for. And I'm right in the middle of the search process in 2008 and early 2009. And I've been looking at a lot of church profiles, churches on the East Coast, churches on the West Coast, churches in between, just lots and lots of church profiles. But I haven't seen First Universalist's church profile. My wife is insistent, like, look at this. You need to look at this one. And as I begin to read through it, I think to myself, OMG, oh my goddess, oh my, oh my goodness, this, this profile and the way that this church is describing themselves and the minister they are looking for and longing for, I felt this aliveness, I felt this electric current moving in me, this sense of wonder, this, this question kept popping up for me as I looked through this profile, I was like, could we be a match? Was this the church? Was, was there something here? So I want to share some of that language. I want you to join me uh, back in 2008, and I'll share some of this language from that congregational profile that first caught my attention in my heart back in 2008. Here's what some of that language said. We are looking for a minister who can breathe life into our vision and help us more fully develop our collective sense of purpose. The minister we seek strengthens our active presence in the larger community. We want a minister whose commitment to peace and justice can focus and inspire us as we put our values into action. There was also this. The minister we seek is a leader and a sage and a regular person rolled into one, authentic and empowered, perceptive and wise, warm and outgoing and deeply spiritual. No pressure, right? No pressure at all for whoever this incoming minister would be. Thankfully, the church's profile also went on to say this. Is that too tall of an order? You know, the sage and regular person and deeply grounded spiritual and like intellectual leader and all that. Is that too tall of an order? Well, we do want our minister to have these traits. And we also understand that they will be human and thus have limitations and imperfections and failings. Thank God for that acknowledgement, that recognition of what it means to be human. But they went on, the church profile went on to say this, but know this, they said, we are a great church and we are ready to strive to reach our potential in partnership with the senior minister who is striving to meet theirs. And in my own ministerial packet, I shared, and this is for the churches who are in search, I shared that I long to do ministry with bold people, congregants and staff willing to work at the intersection of social justice and spiritual growth. I dream of bringing our whole undivided selves to all that we do. So between the church's profile and my ministerial profile, there was a lot of inspirational, vision-filled dreaming, wasn't there? And the funny thing is, reading over your profile from 12 years ago and mine, you know, looking back now, 12 years later, I don't think either of us knew exactly what we wanted. We knew we wanted something. 
We knew we wanted more. We knew we wanted more life, more energy, more possibility, more courage, more alignment in our spiritual lives, more alignment in our faith community, more love in the world, more collective purpose, more meaning. I think we both had a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and to give our lives to that. We wanted to give, receive, and grow, to be changed, to be transformed. And what's curious, what's curious to me looking back is that there was no language in either of our profiles that talked about the practice of listening deeply to where love is calling us. But I believe that's what was there underneath the surface. That commitment to listen deeply to where love is calling us and then act I think that's what drew us together. You as a congregation and me as a minister, we, we together wanted to listen together to where love was calling us, even though we didn't know exactly where that love would take us. We wanted to be faithful to that love. We wanted to be love's people embodying love in our lives, in our actions, in our ministry. And this truth, this yearning, this desire, it became real three years into my ministry when it became clear to me and to many of you that love was calling us to become a congregation committed to dismantling white supremacy culture and practices and to build beloved community. And while it is true is that we didn't all hear that call in the same way or with the same intensity. And some of us felt upset or put upon by that call. And some who were a part of the congregation left. And then others came because they could see we were following and responding to that call. But enough of us heard that call that something began to shift. Something is still shifting in the body of the church. I remember a moment nine years ago when I realized I really couldn't continue as a Unitarian Universalist, much less a Unitarian Universalist minister, without holding racial justice work at the center of my ministry, of the shared ministry. It was like when you stare at one of those pictures that has a hidden 3D image in it. You remember these pictures, right? You look at it, it's just a jumble of nothing. And you stare at it long enough and kind of cross your eyes. And all of a sudden, this 3D image pops into life in front of you. So I was just staring and staring at the history of Unitarian Universals. And that's what it felt like. And suddenly, I saw this full 3D picture. I saw clearly that although the heart of universalism is about a deep, wide, unconditional love, a love that upends caste, that has no space for racial hierarchies, that embraces all of creation, well, that is at the heart of our faith, I also saw clearly in that 3D picture I was imagining in my mind's eye that our institutions and the practices of our faith were seeped and grounded in white supremacy culture, a culture that was distorting the promise of our faith and who we could be. I saw clearly, we saw clearly, the tremendous disconnect between who we said we were and what the forces of white supremacy actually shaped us into being. It became clear to us that it was a spiritual imperative to confront white supremacy culture and practices within our faith, within our institutions, within ourselves, within our community. We knew whether we verbalized this exactly or not, 
that if we didn't do this, our faith was empty and hollow and our spiritual lives vacuous. And so we began this racial justice journey, bringing in Heather Hackman for countless trainings and workshops. We equipped ourselves, we learned, we engaged, we made mistakes, we got curious, we made more mistakes, we got curious, we engaged, we kept at it. We opened up the building for Black and Indigenous and people of color organizers for groups and conferences and gatherings. We showed up when leaders with Black Lives Matter asked us to show up. We partnered with Indigenous neighbors to help restore the name Bede Makaska, White Earth Lake, to the body of water not so far from First Universalist. And I think we were able to follow the call of love because some of the seeds of that call had been planted long ago. Some by Reverend John Cummins, who marched in Selma, Alabama, and was a fierce advocate for racial justice. Some by the anti-racism team that was an alive and engaged at First Universalist in the 80s and 90s. And some of those seeds by members of the church, some whose names I know and many whose names I do not know, who kept nudging and pushing and moving the church in a particular direction, that racial justice direction. So I just used the pulpit that I had, that I had been called to, to amplify that message, this calling. And so did Jen, and so did many, many others. But the seeds were there. And nine years ago, love led us to water and nourish and tend those seeds. This is who you are. You are willing to listen deeply to where love is calling you. You are willing to be uncomfortable as you follow the call of love. This is what it means to be a people of faith, to let your mission own you. You understand that. That knowing is alive at First Universalist. This is who you are. Let that in, let that in, and let it grow ever more deeply. So I have to confess that when I began my ministry with you all, I never thought about the last sermon I'd preach with you as senior co-minister. I thought about preaching all the time. I don't know a minister that doesn't really. Sundays are relentless. At least if you're a minister in a, in a church setting, in a congregation, Sundays are just relentless. They just keep coming. And so every minister I know has file folders, mental or computer or whatever, of poems and readings and articles and ideas for preaching. But I never thought much about this, my final Sunday with you all, my final Sunday sermon. I'm here for a few more Sundays. But here we are, here we are. And in a few short weeks, I will be gone and you all will remain. You, the body of the church. You, dear ones who know how to wrap around one another when you've experienced a loss or a hardship or are struggling. You who help lead circles to grow your spirits, who help lead circles to welcome newcomers. You who mentor our coming of age youth, you who build 
houses with Habitat for Humanity, you who make lunches to bring to those who build houses, you who silently and quietly care for one another, you who are learning about the history of abolition, imagining a world vastly different than the one we currently know, you who sing and teach and love our children, you who live your faith wherever you go. You, you all are on the threshold of a new season of this vibrant shared ministry. And you have such a good, strong and healthy team leading the way. I know you've heard this before and it's so true. I know and love this team. Reverend Jen and I have been working together for nine years, three of those as co-ministers. And I can tell you, she is a damn good minister. You know that. And she loves you so fiercely. You are in such good hands. And you, as a congregation, are strong and healthy and vital. The universalist spirit is so alive in you. That's what called me to you those many years ago. For the entire time of your existence, for over 160 years, the universalist spirit of love and hope has been embraced and lived by you. That's what's at the center of this shared life of faith at First Universalist. That's the heartbeat of who you are, this radical, unconditional love. You are about a love that will not rest until there is room within the circle for everyone, every child, every gender, every race, for everyone. Do you remember those of you in Minnesota and those of you around the country? Do you remember back a number of years ago when Minnesota became the first state in the country to defeat an amendment, a constitutional amendment defining marriage as only be, being between a man and a woman. And then we went on to legalize same-sex marriage and the church, the church, we had a party, a celebration. Reverend Jen cooked up this idea and we called it the big gay wedding. And every part of the church building, the courtyard outside, every room in the building, the sanctuary, the Cummins room, the entire building, there were weddings happening all day long at the big gay wedding. That was our faith alive. That was placing love at the center. And church, when love points the way and you make the decision to faithfully follow love, the call of love, you go for it, you go big. Think of the house that love built, this house that we raised money for and built from the ground up with Habitat for Humanity. Think of the commitment we now have to dismantling white supremacy culture. Think of the commitment to support collaborative and shared leadership like Jen and I did in co-ministry and like the board does with staff and we do together as a congregation. Think of the capital campaign, a campaign that was not for ourselves alone, but to build a building for, for our neighbors and for organizations in the community to use. Once you know the direction that love is pointing you and you see that it's in alignment with your values and your mission, look out, get back, you're unstoppable. This is who you are because you know 
you know at the end of the day or at the time of a goodbye or when it's time to die. You know that the only thing that truly matters, the only thing that truly matters is the love that we have given away as wildly and abundantly as possible. The only thing that matters is the love we've given away and the love that we've received, that we've been able to let in to our hearts and our bodies and our beings. That's the measure of our lives. And at the end of the day, you understand that love has the final word. And so I'm right back at the theme I started my ministry with, which is love. I've been reading early sermons, these sermons from my early years with you. And there was a sermon back in August of 2009, where I asked the question, how do we measure our time together as a faith community? What's the benchmark of how we're doing? I suggested then, and I believe now, that the answer is love. Deep, relational, listening love. Liberating love, freeing love, empowering love, a love that says, tell me more when we hear something that makes us uncomfortable, a love that calls us to reimagine everything we think we know because we're not able to get where we want to be. So we have to reimagine everything and lead with that kind of love. That was in that sermon from 2009. And what is so true, what I feel in my bones right now is the reality that in, in ministry and seminary, I remember a number of teachers and professors and colleagues saying, well, you know, in ministry, you only have one sermon in you and you just find a thousand different ways to preach it. So writing this sermon today, I'm pretty sure my one sermon is a sermon about love. And I want to be clear, when I talk about love, that doesn't mean, of course it doesn't mean in this world, that there are very deep, deep hells of grief and loss and hopelessness and depression and despair. They are. Those are there. That is real. But love can and does go fearlessly into those hells. And love accompanies and witnesses and holds fast and heals. Sometimes we give and carry that love into those hard, hard places. Sometimes we receive that love when we are in those hard, hard places. And church, that's who you are, and that's what you do. And over these 12 years, <laughs> you love me. You helped me grow as a minister. You've helped me grow as a human being. You've helped me grow my soul. And over these 12 years, I, I've loved you. And so from my heart to your heart in this crazy virtual space that I'm a little bit Sure, we're all pretty tired of. <laughs> From my heart to your heart, I want to say thank you for nearly 12 years of just incredible ministry. I will miss you. I will. 
But I also know that in doing and in saying a good goodbye, like we are doing right now, and we'll continue to do in these final few weeks, we open up a space. We open up a space in our respective lives for something new and dynamic and life-giving to be born. And in doing that, and doing a good goodbye and making that space for something new to be born, another chapter to unfold, we honor what we have shared and we honor the ministry that we've done together and we move into the future with open hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.